And welcome to the Men Up Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. I'm Will Van Dyke. What up, y'all? Lamar Womble. And thank you for joining us this week and every week as we dig into culture, current events, and our own events, and as we redefine manhood and masculinity so that all of us, however you identify, can thrive. Y'all, we are here in season three, season three of the Men Up podcast. And you'll notice here, we got the big three. We got Lamar, we got Will, we got myself. And here in season three, we are excited to really dig in and to level up in some really powerful ways. So one of those ways is going to be with a new segment here, uh, and it's a segment we're calling Walking the Talk. So if you've been with us since episode one of season one, or if this is your first time joining us, you'll know that we are clear that we are not experts. We are, however, a group of guys committed to doing this work, being vulnerable about our journey, and inviting you all into that. So that is what Walking the Talk is all about. Each time we are together as a big three, we are going to be identifying some idea of manhood or masculinity that we've carried with us that maybe hasn't been serving us well for a long time or maybe isn't serving us well now. And so we're trying to undo that or move beyond that idea. So we'll share that with y'all. We'll share how we're working through that. And hopefully it supports you in redefining manhood and masculinity. So I can remember starting at the age of 10 that the guys in my life, primarily my dad, my grandfather, guys I looked up to, would tell me that I had to be the man of the house. Now, I want to be clear on something. My mom, who was holding it down as a single mom, never needed a man of the house. But that's a whole other idea to untangle. This idea of being the man of the house, I'm not sure why it was given to me, uh, but coupled with what I saw a lot of, which was guys not really expressing themselves to their wives, to their partners, allowed me to internalize this idea that being the man of the house meant never sharing what my needs were, that in order to be this man of the house, that it meant silencing whatever I needed or whatever was going wrong or whatever I needed to share in order to really serve my role. Now, don't get me wrong. There were some powerful things that came out of this idea of being the man of the house. I've had a strong sense of responsibility, teamwork, and integrity from a young age. But see, the problem is this. All of us as human beings have needs. And I think one of the things that developed over time, particularly into my adult years, was this idea that the people that I love the most and that love me, my friends, the guys on this podcast, my family members, any romantic partners, that somehow because they knew me a certain way, that they would automatically understand what my needs were, even if I didn't communicate them, even if I didn't totally know what my needs were. And as I reflect on those early adult years, I realized that so much of the tension, the challenge that came up in those relationships was because I was not sharing what my needs were. So what has the work been recently? First, therapy goes a whole long way on this topic. This is something we talk a lot about in the Men Up podcast. Many of us have utilized therapy as a resource. And so if this is something that you can do, if it's a resource that you can afford and access, please do so. So it is a huge support. But also during this time, I've had to be intentional about creating space for me to ask myself, what is it I need here? whether it's in the moment, whether it's for a day, a week, or for my lifetime, what are the things I actually need? Taking time to journal about that, to think about it, maybe even talk it out for myself. And finally, the most important thing has been being vulnerable about what my needs are with the people that I love and who are in my life the most. So sometimes this can feel really awkward, right? To share that 
my biggest need is often quality time with people to share with them. Hey, I really need some time with you. That can be awkward. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but that moment of uncomfortability all, always leads to necessary conversation and often compromise that allows for both people or all of the people involved to have their needs met. And I got to tell you that feeling of having needs met and meeting somebody else's needs, it feels damn good. So thank y'all for being on this walk with me. Now let's get into it. It's game time. Lamar, you are kicking off our season three, really focused on, on the big picture with us. So what do we got here? What up, y'all? So, yes, season three, we are very excited to have this conversation all throughout the season. And we're going to be talking about masculinity and toxic masculinity and how both of those things are defining both of those things, but also how they show up in our lives, how they might show up in yours and just all the different people we know and the stories that we've heard um, as men throughout our lives. And so uh, I wanted to start off by just kind of giving you all a little bit of a background, because even for myself, like I... I'm not exactly sure or clear, you know, what masculinity means, for example. And I think over the last five years, though, the term toxic masculinity has probably been more uh, able to, for me, to identify like what it is and what I should not be doing. Um, and so it's been easier for me to kind of have a better understanding of what that is. And so I had to go back and look. I'm just like, well, what is masculinity? What is toxic masculinity? Um, and what I found was that the first person to really use the term toxic masculinity um, was using it to describe obviously negative uh, qualities and characteristics of men that are like anti-women. The man's name is Dr. Shepard Bliss and he's a professor, psychologist um, in California, still alive too actually, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, and he coined the term uh, toxic masculinity uh, to really help uh, men discover uh, that you can have a deeper sense of self without bringing down women or without, uh, you know, having to dominate, right, any and every situation. So really the work started from a trying to be positive, right, trying to help men see something deeper in themselves beyond the position of power that they typically came from um, and to let them be more emotional and more connected uh, and more uh, pro to uh, different lifestyles. He also coined the term, uh, cooperative masculinity. So I think I'm going to use cooperative masculinity instead of just masculinity when I'm thinking about what masculinity is, because he defines cooperative masculinity as nature-based, uh, but helping men discover their authentic selves through uh, community in nature and exploring their emotions uh, from grief to ecstasy, uh, and everything in between. So I, I think that's an interesting way to start this conversation, uh, interesting way to start this season and letting y'all know that, hey, we are really trying to define what masculinity is or cooperative masculinity is and what toxic masculinity is, what resonates most with you and like what comes to the surface as you think about those two terms. I think my uh, shift on sort of the quote unquote toxic mas masculinity. And I put it in quotes because I, I think it, it is shifting and the dynamics change. I think sort of, you know, at, at, like science, as more things come out, you know, you sort of amend your thought on, on things. And, and I think what is truly and is clearly defined by society, maybe to a certain extent is the sort of fringe of toxic masculinity, which is truly, you know, 
identifying males hating on identified females, the incel community, right? If you're not familiar with what the incel community is, like that's a toxic, just a disaster of a, of a area. What I think is needing more, needing the exposure that it rightfully is getting now is the subtle ways in which identifying males are impinging on the progress of society because of their hangups in the sort of, you know, where they're trying to, quote, trying to be normal, I guess, if you will, trying to be accepting of society, but not identifying the subtleties in which their, uh, their challenges are impeding progress as a society. And I'm sort of include myself in that. And one of the ways in which I, I certainly do that is, you know, through communication or non-communication. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of to the point that Shabu was making too, which is that I'm probably the person who still thinks that I'm going to be fine. So I'm, I don't need to tell you what my needs are or what my vulnerabilities are because I'll figure it out for mm-hmm. myself. And I, I don't need to share those types of things. I don't need to communicate because I'm figuring out for myself right where that actually probably hinders most of the relationships that I try to build professionally and personally. And it becomes a very, and it becomes a challenge. And I only really speak up when it's become to the, you know, bubbled up to the surface and it becomes a very aggressive Mm. take on my side. Mm. And it becomes a very like pointed take. Yeah. I think, I think that's super interesting. I was having a thought this week about kind of what you're talking about, that bubbling up of the emotions when you kind of like suppress and you suppress or you kind of dodge, like dodge what's going on. And then, and then you kind of like blow up. Um, and it, it reminds me of uh, the whole Naomi Osaka situation where she kind of came out and she was like, hey, like, this doesn't work for me in my mental health. Right. And people just they rain down on her. And then literally the, I think it was the Olympics. Um, what's old boy's name. Uh, who's the, the, the main guy. The oh, it, was, it was Djokovic. Yeah. So Djokovic literally loses his mind on the court. Right. He's like slamming his racket. And, and it's so funny. And I was like, wow. I was like, but they're going hard on her. Like, this guy has a like anger issue, like clearly. And so I think something that is, is accepting of men when it comes to masculinity and, and also, but also toxic is like men have the space to like be angry and it can show up in a different way, right? It can be accepted. It can be, Oh, like he's just competitive or like, he just wants it really bad. But ultimately like when you're angry or when you're like really pissed off, like, that means that you're, you're not the best at controlling your emotions ultimately. And if some, somebody thinks that they're not emotional, but they get angry, you're very disconnected from yourself. There's a tie in there too, to competitiveness, I think to a certain extent where it's like people think that traits of anger and aggression are uh, signs of, of competitiveness, right? They always talk about like, oh, this guy's got the fire. He's a yeah. killer. He's a, you know, and it's like, I look at somebody and I'm, and I actually don't. I, so I'm saying this with a little bit of like a lack of research, maybe. But if you look at somebody like a like a Mike Trout, 
or like even a date, you know who it is? Like David Ortiz. David Ortiz did everything with a relatively positive uh, attitude towards life and right. towards competitiveness. And like, you could tell like he was serious, but he wasn't, I, I don't, I can't remember an instance in which he was angry and he was arguably one of the best players on the field at any time. Yeah, And he carried himself in that way. And he never, you know, so those are the types of things where I think there's like this tie-in and we don't, and we only acknowledge the negatives and we don't always acknowledge the positives of, in that, in that regard. But so I, I think there's a competitiveness there too. in, in that sort of like, anger not a, you know, an aggression thing because it's become so commonplace i like the point that you made at the end there which was the the disconnect between if you're if you're feeling if you get angry and you blow up and but then you say you're emotionless you're missing uh, you're missing <laughs> something there. also in that example right what was so contradictory and ridiculous about the example that you're giving from the olympics lamar is that like a few days earlier when that happened, when Osaka, he criticized her, right? Which is just bananas, right? And and what's interesting is I think a lot of times when we think about sports, right? A lot of times we equate sports with a very like masculine energy. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying that like women and people who don't identify as men or women play sports and do it at a high level. I'm not saying that. Of course they do. What I am saying is that like sports often gets equated with this masculine energy, which is this energy of like, the only kind of energy you can bring to sports is one of competitiveness is one of like anger or like driven, like focused anger in that way. Like it can never be that you have a full range of emotions and have to deal with those in a sport. Right. And and so it's interesting because I think Naomi Osaka and, and the conversation around mental health that her and many other athletes, primarily female athletes have brought to the forefront. Although we should shout out the Kevin loves of the world who have been doing this work for a while too. Right. Like, that's where a lot of this tension comes from and where people like start to comment on like, Oh, well, you can't bring emotions to sports because for so long we've identified sports with this masculine energy. Right. And, and it's just, it doesn't serve anybody. Right. And, and, but there's this shift that's happening. Are, are we willing to say that, that showing emotions is not masculine? I mean, not, not that you all agree with that, but we would, we say collectively that our society believes that. I'm glad you threw in society there because I, I just, just to double back for just a quick second is that I think we're, you know, we are talking about masculine in a very societal term. Like this is a societal defined term. So there's like the, there may, and to the, to the, the very short answer is not showing emotions. Yes. I do believe is associated with what society and this collectivism has defined as a masculine trait. It's a long way of just saying yes, but like, yes. What Will's presence saying, which I think is really important where you started the conversation, Lamar, is like, you know, what are these distinctions between words like masculinity, you identified masculinity and toxic masculinity, but also masculinity and manhood, right? And I think one of the ways that we've tried to with men up in the workshops we do and the work that we've done over the years is, is distinguish that masculinity, it is sort of like the definition that is offered by society at any given time about like, what a man is supposed to be and look like and things like that. Manhood seems to like get a little bit closer to an individual, right? And their understanding of like, this is what it means for me to be a man within this society, right? And so I think that that's important. I think, you know, what what just came up for me there around the emotions, right? Is to Will's point, right? Like our, our society for quite some time, right? Has identified that like emotions in sports 
like that's not a thing that should happen. We shouldn't be able to show emotions like that. And so I'll just use a personal example. Like when that got closer to my own definitions of manhood, particularly at a young age, like I can remember a very specific moment and it actually included Will. He, he probably doesn't even remember this, right? But there was this moment where, uh, I don't know, we must've been 10 or 11, right? And it was Will, another one of my buddies, uh, another one of our buddies and my dad, we were playing basketball at my mom's house. Something happened where like I started crying and like the moment when I was crying around my friends and in front of my dad and he had to pull me aside and be like, you absolutely should not be crying right now. Go inside. That internalized ideas of like sports, emotion, what it means to be a man all in that moment that, I mean, again, thank God for therapy and undoing some of that shit. But like that's I think that's how that stuff sort of all starts to connect from a from a societal level to our own personal definitions. You know, that stuff happens so often, though. <laughs> Not with you, not with you specifically, but just like in our friend group. That's standard, bro. Like that's standard across the board for any, any group. Like, why are you crying like a little girl? You know, like even statements like that. And and it's so funny because, you know, that's what it's when you're, when you're younger, it's like, why are you crying like a little girl when you're older It's stop being a pussy. Right. And so, and, and let's talk about that. I think this is actually a really interesting wrinkle. So, so Zena says this to me a lot and, and we have the conversation like, when, when that statement gets made, right? Like stop being a, stop being a pussy. Right. And so it's just like, well, but, but let's, let's think about what vaginas can do. Right? Like let's, let's, let's think about what they can do. And let, let's, let's actually rethink the, the, the terminology that we use of like, no, it's actually your little, you know, being, you being a little dick when you're being sensitive or angry or like when you're overly emotional, like it's, it's literally like, the vagina is the literal foundation of strength, right? It's, it represents strength. And so it's just really interesting when you flip the wording and, and the meaning and be like, oh, hold on a second. But why do we, why do we use that term to identify men as being soft or emotional? You know what I mean? When it really should, we should just be calling you just a little dickhead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like, cause you're, you're just being a jerk. You know what I mean? So that uh, misconception in itself almost defines you know, mass, you know, like a masculine dominated society, patriarchal society too, that is like, oh, here, I'm going to call the feminine thing, the negative. And I mean, calling somebody a dick, I guess is relatively a negative too, but like just referring to like very powerful parts of human anatomy as negatives, it's just like, ugh. what are some behaviors that you have had that word toxic. And I know, I think you both kind of alluded to this, but I think there were more of like ways that you were impacted by it, not necessarily like ways that you actually let it out. So I'm interested to kind of know from you all, like what have been some toxic behaviors that you've had to, that you had and that you had to let go of. And and I can, I can start. You Um, go first. Yeah. uh, yeah, (laughs) I think one thing is, um, the discovering of, of an ego that I had one. Um, and I think, you know, uh, another man actually helped me see this. So the prince, my, my first school, when I first moved to New York, um, 2013, I was working in the high school and like, I, you know, I was running programs and putting out events for students. And uh, my principal sat me down one day. He was like, Lamar, do you, uh, do you have an ego? And I was like, nah, 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 nah. Like, I don't have an ego. Like I'm, you know, I'm like, cause in my mind, I'm thinking like, I'm like super friendly and like, I'm not arrogant, but like, but 
when it comes to the work and the work that I do, like I want it done and I want it my way. And these are the five steps to getting it done. And this is the way that I think it should get done. And if you tell me no, then I'm going to come back and push back against you. And uh, he kind of broke down what it meant to have ego. Um, and I just had the complete wrong definition of it. And so um, that was one place that like I really had to sit back and reflect on like, well, what does my voice as a man in this school um, where can I back off a little bit, right? Where can I tone it down a little bit? Where can I not be so as aggressive? Because I never would have identified myself as aggressive, but like he he brought it up because like I was so aggressive in pushing my agenda and the things that I wanted to get done and pushing back against him that I couldn't even see it myself. And that was probably one of the first uh, times that I was just like, oh, like, bro, like you're coming with some real, like, you know, toxic energy here to not just like that conversation, but like potentially could show up that way to other people and people could be put off by that. You know what I mean? So that, that's one place that I definitely had to learn. Like, oh, you do have an ego, sir. And you need to check it sometimes. As a teenager, that was, I think, the first. And it was actually a, form, a fellow classmate who noticed that I walk around the halls of I was relatively tall and skinny, I guess, in high school. And I would quite literally walk around the halls with my nose up in the air, like, 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 like that. And I, I didn't really recognize. So like, it was like a, uh, it was a comment that I, uh, I think shook me out of uh, maybe a headspace a little bit. Um, but it was a humbling sort of comment to, to have been made because the, the association there was that I was better than anybody else or something like that. And I think that that just in, in the way in which I was presenting myself was, uh, you know, was probably toxic to a lot of people. Um, and so, so that's one instance that I can think of. And then as a, as a, as an adult understanding that and, and, learning about the term gaslighting was a fascinating revelation i think for me because it's probably the thing that i've had to be most conscious of my own language and interactions with others before i share anything can i ask you guys since you identified in different ways like an understanding of ego right like what is what does healthy ego look like because i mean the reality is like every person has ego right like from a from a scientific standpoint or a psychological standpoint, we all have ego, right? So like, what does healthy ego look like? Or like, what is healthy ego related to our understanding of what it means to be a man look like? Yeah, I, you know, I think for me, Shabu, and I think this just has come with like maturity and age and just seeing things, um, but also like being somebody who, who goes and gives talks uh, about empathy. And um, I think what healthy ego looks like is, I'd say two things. It's like strong beliefs, loosely held, Right. Um, so so being about something, uh, believing in something, but also being being able to adjust or move or uh, change your mindset. You know what I mean? When somebody presents something new to you. Um, so I think that's healthy ego. Um, and I think that healthy ego is also recognizing that, like, there are so many different opinions, thoughts, experiences, ways to live that the way you believe it or the way you see it can't be the right way or the only way. Um, and I think those two things for me have just really allowed me to kind of like move through life, especially in the last year 
and be just kind of like on my Zen shit. You know what I mean? Like just not really getting moved one way or another because I'm just like, yo, li- live your life, man. Live your life, sis. Live your life. No idea. No, I still don't have it. Uh, no, I, I mean, that's, there, that's an example. There it is. What an unhealthy <laughs> ego looks like. So there's your unhealthy ego example right there. Um, I imagine that it's loving yourself unconditionally. It's, you know, acknowledging the, the bumpy parts and the uh, imperfections and all those sort of things. And then still loving yourself unconditionally. And then having a healthy relationship with those flaws. Maybe this ties to the healthy ego part and your, your question, Lamar, about like one of the things we've had to work through is in my adult years, I've gotten pretty good about creating space to acknowledge myself for things that I'm doing that it's like, Hey, I did a good job there. Or like, or I'm working on a thing, right. And acknowledge that in journaling, or even if I'm, you know, walking around the apartment, I'm like, Hey, I did a good job there. I've noticed what I'll do though, when I'm in community with anybody else, or even in a relationship one-on-one with somebody else, and they acknowledge me for something, I will very quickly deflect very quickly be like, Oh, but you know, it's about the team or like, no, 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 you're great because of this. Right. And I think one of the things I've had to learn to do is just accept it. And in some ways just shut up. Right. And, and that's the thing about being a man too. Sometimes like sometimes you just got to shut up, like yeah. stop talking, right. Stop taking up air. But I think for me particularly is that in the moments where somebody else is being vulnerable and sharing, you know, for whatever thing they're acknowledging me, acknowledging me for just accept it. We attach ourselves to the criticism and the negative and we deflect the positive, which is like such a weird thing that we do as humans. Um, question for y'all. In talking about masculinity, manhood, and toxic masculinity, are we asking men to be less manly in order to be more accepting of everything else, right? Like, are we asking men to be less manly when we're asking them to be emotional, when we're asking them to cook around the house, when we're asking them to maybe stay at home and not, not go to work? Uh, when we're asking them to take up less space in the room, don't talk as much, have a man take notes in the meeting. Like, are we asking men to be less manly when we're, when we're asking them in the society that we live in today to do more of those things? Absolutely not. I think we're asking them to be thoughtful, to be more thoughtful. And to some of the examples you gave, Lamar, I, I would offer that a lot of that is about being thoughtful by being open to conversation about these things rather than assuming that a you know relationship, a marriage, a partnership, whatever it is, is going to look like X, Y, or Z. Being in conversation with your partner about, hey, what does this look like for us, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's going to work for us, meet our needs, right? Individually and collectively, right? I think this goes to your point too about one of the things you've had to unlearn a little bit. I know for me, it's been about like, just questioning things that I just assumed were obvious or automatic, right? And I think that that comes up a lot as a white straight man, right? Like there are so many things that go by every day that it's like, I don't even have to think about that. That's just, that's an automatic thing, right? Right. An example would be like with my partner right now, as we've started to talk about what does long-term partnership look like, marriage, whatever you want to call it, right? Something as simple as like taking last name stuff. That's something that has been so automatic to me in my head that I haven't even thought about it until now. Right. And then when it came up, like, oh, that's not going to happen. I had to be like, oh, do I actually care about that? 
The answer is no, I don't care at all. Right. right. But it was something so automatic. And so I think we're asking men, we're, we're asking all people to be thoughtful around their ideas of manhood and masculinity, but also being open to conversation. The premise of the question constitutes that there's, you know, that, that you're keeping score of how much masculinity and being a man you are. Like, if you're keeping score about all that at, by this point, I mean, that is of itself a toxic trait. Just yeah. cut the shit. <laughs> yeah. It goes back Stop to the competitive point you made. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's kind of like the 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 platinum rule versus the golden rule, right? We know that you know the golden rule is treat people how you want to be treated. The platinum rule is now, and I think probably needs to be the standard. You treat people how they want to be treated, or how they're being how they're being asked how they're asking you to treat them. Um, and I think that slight wrinkle in the in the wording goes to really talk to everybody is different. Everybody likes something different. Everyone needs something different and people have to be prepared to design what it looks like for them in their life because they have the choice and the open-mindedness of people around them to be able to do that in a partnership, at work, um, uh, at school. And so it, instead of trying to like broad stroke and stereotype everything, like everyone needs to be able to work inside of like these one-on-one relationships, conversations that works for them. Um, and I think people are lazy, so we don't want to we don't want to go there, right? We don't want to we don't want to dive that deep into these one on one needs of like every single person. So like, Will, you're you're a manager director, right? Like, it is your job to figure out for each of your employees what do they need, right? And so why would we not apply that same idea to relationships and uh, you know outside of work at church or with your partner or with your kids? Is that you really need to find out like what what does it, what do you need in order to design your life the way you want it based on the life that you want to live, um, and I think that's where men kind of like feel like men can be very black and white, right? Very like rigid, like it's this way or it's that way, and that's the way because I'm a man and this is what a man is supposed to do. You know what I mean? And I think the open mindedness, the empathy, the um, the understanding and just the willingness to a change or adjust your mindset, I think is the, is the cornerstone of not, of, of, of toxic masculinity that what's the opposite of it? Cooperative masculinity, right? That's what it, that's what the cornerstone of it is. It's like that open-mindedness, willingness to change, willingness to go deep instead of wide. It's a, it's a sort of constantly changing landscape. So I can, so my one piece of empathy here is that, it is hard to keep up like what yeah. what is a a sort of a constant redefinition of you know terms but it goes to a point that you made earlier too which is that i think a lot of men's brains are wired to be more black and white transactional and so their their expectations on the society is that I make this decision, I get this outcome. And it's not necessarily, it's not that simple. And so there is a confusion that comes from that. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? Whereas this is almost like the, the 
it's it's almost not that they're they're doing the same thing getting different results but expecting the same thing and and it's just not the way that the world works am i saying that correct now i'm mixing my metaphors maybe a little bit but it's see now i'm confused it (laughs) it goes to my point shabu interested to hear what you have to say where my head goes to is like let's go to what is often identified like within a family unit, right? So a very heteronormative family unit, what it means to be a man within that context is like, I am a provider, right? Mm -hmm. And within that definition is like, specifically, I am a provider of resources, right? Yep. That misses, that definition misses so much, right? Which is like one, providing also looks like providing emotional supports, providing love, providing all of those sorts of things. That is also a form of providing, right? So if our definition of providing as it relates to being a man, as it relates to being in a family is only about resources, I think that's where the problem lies, right? So so this is what I'm saying here is that like, it's about our ability to expand our definitions of things and our willingness to change the definitions and be open-minded, right? And be in conversation. Like that's, that's again, that's what we're asking people to do. You know, for myself, like why I think I am so open-minded around like what how, what a man's role is inside of a family. Like I know for me, like I take a lot of pride in learning to cook and being able to cook half the week or um, I take a lot of pride in, you know, taking care of my, my, my baby most of the, most of the day, right. Or most days, like five days of the week. Like I, I have her pretty much all day. So and I think traditionally, many years ago, particularly in a, inside of a black family, like it, that's a woman's job, right? You know what I mean? The man, as you said, provides. And so, um, you know, but my dad was, uh, I mean, my dad was like, grew up in the hood, military guy, um, but he was never, he was never the guy that was like, I, he never came off to me as like the man's man and I got to do this and got to do that. And like, I felt like my parents split bills and they talked things out. Like I felt like he was that. And he, he was a good model of what an open-minded man could be. Even if he, even if my mom might thought that he was like hardheaded or, or stubborn, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like watching him and watching them in their relationship and like how they hand, handle things um, definitely I think laid the groundwork for me to, have this open-mindedness and not be so rigid. And I think of what I'm discovering is, especially amongst black men, that there's a the expectation of being the man in the house um, is men, black men carry a lot of weight with that. And obviously it sounds like you carried a lot of weight with that. Um, it also sounds like um, a lot of black men are being raised by women. Um, and so they're missing a lot of that masculine energy in their lives, like as they're coming up, but also then when they get older, after being raised by black women, they're also then hearing the women, their peers that they want to marry or date saying like, well, y'all ain't, y'all ain't shit. So now they're being brought down. Like there's so many things that I'm learning that I don't necessarily identify within like the the space of like black men um, that I've just been in conversation with over the last two or three weeks um, that I just have complete opposite opinions around gender roles and how men should show up in families and relationships and in their, in people's lives. And so um, I think it's a, a kind of a great, great place to just kind of wrap up this conversation as we have tried to, our best to kind of identify like what masculinity is, what manhood is, what toxic masculinity is. And I think what we're trying to ask, not just uh, all men, 
but everyone that listens to the podcast and however you identify as, as Christian often says is we're just asking you to be more open-minded. Don't be so rigid. Don't be so black and white. The answers are not only A and B. Um, and if you can work on that open-mindedness every single day when it comes to your ego, but also when it comes to your relationships, uh, that we have an opportunity to live in the moment and redefine uh, what masculinity and manhood is, and maybe drop the term toxic masculinity altogether. Every episode that we have of the Men Up podcast, we like to create space for those moments where we make mistakes or missteps. And so we know that we are going to make these mistakes. We are not perfect and we are committed to accountability and progress here. So we have a segment called Call Your Own Fouls. Will, I'm going to pass it over to you. I know that there is a foul you want to bring up and share with the community. So what you got? When getting ready to record this episode, I think it was just the realization and sort of the culmination of the fact that I probably haven't improved on a lot of the fouls that I called on myself last two seasons. So uh, repeating my, my own mistakes uh, and, you know, my goal has been to show up and then each season do a little bit more. And I think that it's maybe been two steps forward and maybe one step forward and two steps back to a certain extent. So uh, hoping to pick it up on all the things that I have committed to over the last couple of seasons while we, you know, have a really exciting season three planned and I hope to, you know, do my part. You know, I think what you're bringing up for us is that as we do this work, as we undo some of the definitions or things we've been given in our lives, like around manhood and masculinity for all of us, that this work is going to be hard. And sometimes we're going to step forward and sometimes we're going to step back. But the, the point there is that we continue to be in a place where we want to make progress. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you all for joining us. We hope that you are leaving with a level up and that you will join us again on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify for the rest of season three. So please subscribe, review, and spread the good word so that all of us can redefine and thrive. We appreciate y'all. Peace. The Men Up Podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com. 